0: Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ian
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Zuber.
2: I'm Jess Dicky, and uh, somebody on the subreddit wasn't sure what my name was. It's Jess J-E-S-S Dicky D-I-C-K-E-Y, not just Icky. <laughs> just <laughs> wanted to clear that up.
1: <laughs> Someone wrote in two before he put you on the website was Jess Sticky. <laughs> yeah, oh not God. that one either. I didn't. I just occurred to me Sticky like something like Sticky. I thought I pictured it like a stick, like stick, like like a stick. Yeah, sticky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, right.
2: oh. I'm somewhat stick-like, but that is not my name. <laughs>
1: I've I've noticed that
0: uh when but you're not dick like <laughs> um
2: no comment all right
0: <laughs> well she's the nicest dick in this room anyway they <laughs> oh right they sorry yes thank you the um I, yeah when I listen to because I know Polish a little bit from my parents and I can talk with them but then I listen to like fast things like a newscast. And my parents are pretty good with English. They cannot understand English songs. And that's the same thing with Polish, because the words in songs are kinda of like drawn out or smooshed together or stopped at weird points for the meter, and it's just yeah, you have no idea what anyone's saying if it's not in tong, tong, tong,
1: tong form. I struggle to understand speech at all, so Right, yeah. All so right. Jess Dicky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: there we you. Go. All right. Now that that's cleared up, what are we talking about today?
0: Today we're talking about uh a whoops, hold on there we go a post called degrees of freedom by sarah constantine which can be found over at the new less wrong which is just less wrong.com uh it's called new because there was a whole restructuring at some point in the recent
2: past yeah i don't know if it's that new anymore i think it's just less wrong now
0: okay we call it less wrong 2.0 uh i think they used to call it Less wrong 2.0 back when it was a uh, lesser wrong but now that it's just full-on less wrong i guess it's just less wrong again less wrong we born
1: it's like that thing where like the remake video games and they just like, now they're like, they're just calling those the same things as the ones that came out 15 years ago. Yeah. Like God of War, the one that came out in 2018, wasn't God of War 5. What was it? it? Just God of War. Wait, they not even with a subtitle or something? No. Just God of War. Right. Minus the just. <laughs> <That's>...
2: <laughs> this is the new original God of War. That's right.
0: stupid.
1: It's I, it's going to be confusing in another 15 years when God of War 10 comes out and it's <laughs> just God, God of War, War <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jesus. Okay. Uh but I like this post. I found it and I said, "Hey, we should talk about it." And uh the other two on the podcast said, "Yeah, let's
1: let's do that because why not?" So here we go. And it kind of fits into the stuff that we've been talking about a little bit with like constraining choices and I don't know, like a vaguely a, a theme over the last few episodes of like kind of centering on autonomy and that sort of stuff. So
2: And yeah. free speech. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think it totally fits the the whole rationalist thing in general because as rationalists, we're often trying to optimize everything i guess the uh what's the harry potter quote i don't want to rule the world i just think it could be optimized better or something that sounds right i should know this or i think it could be organized better something that's what organized organized better yeah yeah
1: so i don't think we said the 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 post was called degrees of freedom yes and the one sentence synopsis of it is the more constrained you are by optimization like, you want to make the best choice possible, the less degrees of freedom you have. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. The, the two definitions that Sarah puts forward are optimization is, of all possible actions available to me, which one is the best by some criterion? Okay, I'll choose the best. Whereas indifference is, multiple possible options are equally good or incommensurate by the criterion I'm using. My decision algorithm equally allows me to take any of them. Uh, She points out that if you're only free to do the optimal thing, that can mean you are free to only do one thing all the time as rigidly as a machine. If, for instance, you are only free to act in your own best interests, in quotes again, you don't have the option to act against your best interests. People in real life can feel constrained by following a rigid algorithm even when they agree it's best. But what if I want to do something that's not best? Or they can acknowledge they're free to do what they choose, but are dismayed to learn that their choices are dictated as rigidly by habit and conditioning as
1: they might have been by some human dictator. So just like the naive question from the top is like, I can imagine decisions that I make that I'm A, not putting into like a decision hierarchy that I'm, I'm ranking. Um, but B, like I'm fully aware are suboptimal. And it's not that I'm indifferent. It's that like I'm kind of just doing the easiest thing. So I guess... That's kind of a right? yeah but mm,
2: that maybe depends on the way you're defining indifferent
1: and by how you're defining optimal because the fact that it's the easiest if that's like really high in a preference order then yeah it's optimal for that do you feel bad about doing those things though sometimes okay like
0: i lately i have not been actually this entire year i haven't really been writing Uh, i've been kind of slacking on a bunch of things i used to do a lot of and instead just drowning in video games and I always feel like I am wasting my life. I am going to die, have nothing done, and I'm doing this instead. And man, I suck, but I do it anyway. And so I'm clearly not indifferent about these things. I feel bad that I'm not doing the most optimal thing for, for my life.
1: Yeah, so I guess brushing past all of like the, the depth of that, the the surface thing is like we seem to be making choices that don't fit into either of those two categories, right?
2: Yeah, this... um. This article presupposes that there's a coherent you mm. and the way brains work is more like Crystal Society where you've made up of these different parts that have different preferences and they're all putting in bids. So you have parts of you that want to play video games and then parts of you that want to write and they're in conflict and the parts that want to play video games are winning currently.
0: Yeah, it's true, but those parts suck they are unoptimal you get into
2: the same thing when you get a society too when you have people with different preferences so it's hard to steer towards one optimal decision when you've got people with different preferences or parts with different preferences
1: yeah i used to not to belabor on the point but like i used to feel bad about playing video games a lot and i'm not sure if like just the rest of me stopped caring or like (laughs) i started enjoying video games more but and i don't i don't i don't spend a bunch of hours a week i sometimes go weeks without playing a game at all um but i guess i've i've Somehow, at some point, gave myself permission to, like, stop feeling bad about doing things that make me happy. So, I was like, sure. Like, this weekend, I had basically the entire weekend to myself, and I could have been more productive. Instead, I played a lot on my Nintendo Switch and goofed around, and, like, I could have read books to make me better at my job, or, you know, done something like that, and I didn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I, I had a fun time. That's... I don't know. I guess I'm... Maybe I need to reassess, but, like, I'm like, no, I need the time to relax, but I've been doing that for, like, 10 years, so I should probably stop relaxing and start <laughs> doing stuff. But... Anyway,
0: have either of you read uh, para- uh, Scott's parable about the optimizing earring thing?
2: Mm-mm. Optimizing what? Earring. Um, tell me about it, because uh, I forget.
0: It's about a magical artifact that's an earring that will, whoever's wearing it, they will always whisper the optimal deci- uh, decision, the optimal thing for them to do at that moment. Uh, Using their own personal utility function. Like if you want your children to love you or it whispers to you what to do. If you want to provide for them, it whispers to you what to do. If you want to make the world less um, getting global warming. What the fuck am I saying? Is it like a path to victory? Basically, it's whatever. (laughs) I'm thinking Contessa too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's whatever is the most optimal action for for you to do right then. Using your own utility function, it always tells you what it is.
2: And uh, that's a character from Worm whose superpower is the ability to see the path to victory
0: oh nice okay and it's as overpowered as it sounds yeah that sounds ridiculous yeah but uh the in the parable the people who find this who ring are always live very happy lives they end their lives just uh surrounded by friends and family that love them they are pillars of their community they have all the resources that they want and which usually isn't that much because they're not like you know money seeking people they just want a happy life right And then afterwards, uh, whenever an autopsy is done on them, they find that their brain has shriveled to be almost nothing because they just simply don't have to think anymore. They they offload all their cognition to listening to the earring. Yeah, yeah. Because there's only ever one best choice. And when you always do the best choice, you get the best outcome. But, I mean, in our cases, we still got to think and decide what the best choices are. But if you had something else like a super intelligent AI telling you, what would be the point of you thinking anymore?
1: It's hard to find one. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: And I, I still am wanting to push back against the idea that there is one coherent best, oh, well, you know, one coherent preference or one like, you know, yeah. readily identifiable best option. Yeah. I think that humans don't work that way. And it's probably good that we don't.
0: I think humans are definitely much better modeled as societies, like you said.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, should we go on with the rest of the post? Let's go on. Someone else want to read the next one? Sure. Freedom as indifference, I think, is lurking behind our intuitions about things like rights or ownership. When we say we have a right to free speech, even a right bounded with certain limits, as it of course always is in practice, we mean that within those limits you may speak however you want. Your rights define a space within which you may behave arbitrarily, not optimally, A right, if it's not to be vacuous, must mean the right to behave badly in some way or another. To own a piece of property means that, within whatever limits the concept of ownership sets, you may make use of it in any way you like, even in suboptimal ways. Um, And then this is still on the subject of property, so... To own something just is to be able to hang on to it, even when it's economically inefficient to do so. As Weil says... Is that Weil? I don't know. Property is monopoly. The owner of a piece of land can sit on it, making no improvements, while holding out for a high price. The owner of intellectual property can sit on it without using it. For better or worse, rights and ownership define spaces in which you can destroy value. You are only you only truly own what you have a right to wreck.
0: <laughs>
1: I think it's a damn good point. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah, like like if I if my car if I shared my car with somebody, I'd have like a more responsible I'd be, have to be more responsible in taking good care of it. Mm-hmm. And yet since it's just mine and it's got scratches and whatever, it's like I don't, I don't really care. It's I always feel anyway.
0: yeah much more like I have to take care of other people's property when I'm borrowing something.
1: Yeah, but as it's as it's mine and it's then I get to value it as much exactly as much as I want to. So
0: yeah, yeah. I also like the the point about um, the ability to destroy value because we both live in subdivisions, uh, HOA type places, right? The here we there's just a service that comes in most everyone's lawn. In, out in the suburbs, everyone owns their own lawnmower, which they use, like, once Not a week, maybe? Not everyone?
2: Yeah, um, thinking about um, when I was living in New Jersey, uh, there's, like, you know, some pretty poor areas. And I remember there were some people that, uh, I, we had this uh, system at, at my local community library that I worked at, where we actually were, like, coordinating people lending lawnmowers to people who couldn't afford a lawnmower so they could upkeep their lawn oh. so they weren't getting fined. Oh, neat. It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Some people also have neighborhood co- neighborhood kids mow theirs for money. So,
3: yeah,
0: But yeah, most people have their own tools for whatever and just keep them to themselves and never share them, even though 99% of the time they aren't in use. And it'd be much more economically efficient to have some sort of pool where they're shared. But uh, then you run the risk of them being broken, them not coming back and so everyone owns their own
1: and just it's a huge waste of money and most people don't like talking to the neighbors enough to try and coordinate like all right everyone give me 20 bucks i'll buy a lawnmower right then we can find a way to store it or something yeah
2: it used to be easier to coordinate community resources when communities were like tighter knit yeah when they existed yeah to talk up libraries again Um, a lot of libraries are starting to have systems where they will have um i'm not sure if lawn mowers but they have like tools like um toolkits that you could borrow with your library card i know that some had uh like suits that you could wear to job interviews i think that's a really cool idea yeah that's and awesome it, it, it's kind of bringing back the idea of there being community resources and libraries are generally paid with uh state money or uh local locally funded you know so i i like that um yeah makerspaces too. uh there's like libraries tend to have these free maker spaces where you can use different resources. I'm, I'm just like kind of being a spokesperson for libraries right now. So I'll stop. But
1: <laughs> every time I hear somebody talk about libraries, whether it's online or, or in person, I learn something that li- like some of the libraries do that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, they just, at least as far as I know, they just rented books. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, they do movies and video games too. Oh, and audio books. Oh, and digital books. Mm-hmm. And oh, tools and suits and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, you can free
2: classes. They're they're Make kind of like for awesome. churches
1: nowadays.
0: Yeah, they all the community center stuff is there now.
2: Yeah, that's kind of true. Um yeah. Hmm. I actually really like wish that libraries would kind of take over that space. I mean, like that mm-hmm. they are kind of starting to, but like Yeah, anyway.
0: Um real quick question you guys, do you both think that owners of of property both physical and intellectuals should be able to monopolize it and exclude other people from using their property.
2: Are you asking whether I'm a communist? <laughs>
0: <laughs> sort of. I'm, I'm going to sneak in a gotcha here.
2: Hmm. I think my answer to that is sort of, I don't know. My answer to that is man. I don't know. Uh, okay. That's hard. What do um, you think Steven?
1: I think, I mean, intellectual property I think is, is harder to define and then harder to like constrain. Like, it, um, is it my idea like i remember there was a thing with like apple trying to patent the the tablet oh god because they they (laughs) had the idea of a big touchscreen computer apparently they said it was theirs and i think you told me this they're like no no check it out on space odyssey 2001 there's one on the table here so this was already public property before you guys got your hands on it so like or you know another like I think Sony and Apple do this stuff, kind of stuff all the time. They wanted to patent, like, the home button on the bottom center of the screen. Like, yeah. weird stuff like that.
0: The rounded corners were a patent. Yes. And
1: so, like, yeah. you know, that seems weird. And, you know, a lot of that seems just to be kind of, like, to, to litigate other your competitors out of the market. Mm-hmm. But, like, if it's, a, if it's a thing I have, mm-hmm. like, that makes it a lot easier. I think it's, it's my stuff. I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. That's mm-hmm. my yeah. My it is, intuition.
2: It's weird that our intuitions are so different for physical things versus IP. I mean, like everybody i know pirates stuff Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and nobody like some people feel kind of bad about it and like most people just don't but like it's can you imagine if we lived in a world where everybody just stole stuff from the convenience store all the time
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think it's the the pirating. i'm not very in on the community but i'll occasionally see like the comment sections of of torrents People are, like, complaining to the uploader, like, why is the, like, the audio on this so bad? And it's, like, because it came out in theaters two days ago, you entitled piece of shit. You're yeah. trying to steal it. <laughs> like, <All right. laughs> yes, mm. I'm here, too, but I'm not complaining about it and already paid to watch it. So, <laughs> anyway, so what's the gotcha? Oh,
0: I was just going to ask, when's the last time you saw a piece of media that you shouldn't have? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Never, because I'm a good, you know, exactly. copyright-fearing American. Yeah.
0: But I recently watched... um, um... What's the new Star Trek called? Although you did try the to loan,
1: you did try to loan me a DVD, and I had to turn that down because I knew that that was prohibited by the agreement that you made with the company when you purchased it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that is my mine now, and I can loan it to whoever I want.
0: But yeah, no, I watched an episode of the Orville uh, just last night on someone's Plex server. So yeah, because like, where is it? Like CBS or something? Who has cable anymore?
1: Who owns a DVD player?
0: Uh, I have an Xbox.
1: I have an Xbox One. I don't think it plays DVDs. Yeah, it does. Oh, it does. Yeah. Well, today I learned I don't play with Blu-rays. <laughs> so yeah, anything that can play a Blu-ray can play a DVD player, I believe. Okay. Well, in any case, like I only know one adult with a and with an expansive physical collection of movies. Yeah. And like I just I I mean it is like I know this is like totally an aside from the post, and I totally get like the people who make those things should should get paid to ha- to like make them right if i could have paid to watch game of thrones and not paid for a two-year locked-in contract with hbo i totally would have right what i would like i think that what could work is except for season eight i would have paid to finish this to finish the show that's true i would have (laughs) paid and been angry (laughs) completion money but let but you'd be less angry if you paid two bucks an episode or five bucks an episode even than you would be if you paid 60 or whatever uh 40 bucks a month for hbo just to watch it right um, yeah, yeah. I then sh- you
2: still have to watch ads, right?
1: I'm not sure. No, not on HBO. No? Okay. Well, I mean, that's great. Like, But I I guess just to me, it's like, I don't want the whole thing. Just I want the little part that I want. And if I could get that, I'd be way more inclined to pay for it. So I think that's actually where things are going. Yeah. I think Apple's... I mean, that's kind of what Spotify did. They, they took piracy and
0: made it, you know, so easy and convenient that all you have to do is listen to some ads every now and then that now everyone uses Spotify instead.
1: Yeah. And, and the premium service is like, super affordable and, like, way more convenient than pirating and making your own playlists.
0: Absolutely. With, you know, the one downside being that artists generally can't afford to eat anymore.
2: Yeah. Don't love that. Yeah. Shall
0: we go on?
1: Shall. Yeah, this is kind of what we're talking about, but uh, an intuition behind the fact that society is shaped by people's desire for more discretion in decision-making, the above the previous stuff was. So... Some discretion is necessary to ensure good outcomes a wise human decision maker can always make the right decisions in hard cases where a, mecha- where a mechanical checklist fails and they use the examples of like job hiring or admissions to college that sort of stuff so there's still humans involved there however what we observe in the world is more discretion than would be necessary we have discretion that enables corruption and special privileges in cases that pretty much nobody would claim to be ideal rich parents buying their not so competent children ivy league admissions Favored corporations voting themselves government subsidies. Decision makers want the freedom to make illegible choices, or to put it more unfavorably, they want to destroy value. So it is weird that, like, um, you know, a, a law that, like, you know, showed that required, like, transparency in politician funding um, would be seen, like, as a constraint on someone's freedom. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what they're getting at here. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, transparency is like violating their, their right to make bad decisions or make uh, yeah. super biased ones in ways that like we, as the people that they're representing don't know about.
0: The more you're constrained by optimization processes, the less freedom you have. And, you know, once things are very transparent and these processes are in place, then you've lost that freedom that you used to have.
2: Yeah. This also comes back to, um, now these are cases where people are making decisions that affect others. So you're as part of a community or society or country. Um, obviously it seems like we should be free to make decisions that affect only ourselves but when they're talking about decision makers um i can think of cases where i don't do and don't want people to have that ability to destroy value so like there's an example of um say like a military general uh making decisions <laughs> that maybe destroy value and that like people would object to but like because this person has this level of expertise and knows what's going on in a world eh, that that might be the right choice um. Even though it's the unpopular choice, maybe oh, oh <laughs> making it a military general makes me like more inclined to be disfavorable towards it. So maybe instead of that, let's do the example of the uh banned things store, yeah. like a lawmaker saying yes, we should have these banned things stores, and then like the rest of society might be thinking about the you know mother of four who died of the doctor snakey's arthritis oil.
1: I think like another way, because like politicians, everyone hates. You know or everyone like it's a very politicized topics so like parent <laughs> parents are other um like decision makers mm-hmm. right so you want your parents decisions to be based on like their best judgment hopefully that's like well informed mm-hmm. you don't want it to be based off of like somebody lying to them or um like nestle's weird practice of like giving people formula and then getting them hooked oh, on it because they're not producing uh breast milk right so okay. um or or parent making decisions like not vaccinate their kids because some celebrity told them not to.
0: Yeah, in general, so. I think you want parents to have the freedom to raise their children how they want because they are most likely to have the local knowledge as to how a child can be successfully raised in this environment and given the temperament of the child. Like usually you want that to be parents decisions and there's just a few rare cases like the vaccine thing when you're like no you really we 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 aren't we can't let you have this decision at this point.
1: Yeah. And at that point, like maybe the line where I think because the difference there is like, Hey, I don't think you should be allowed to kill your kids. So I'm pro back. I'm pro mandatory vaccination, right. but like maybe you're like, you know what? I don't want to, ed- I don't want to educate them. I feel like that's just going to, you know, hold them back from like finding a-, a good life meaning of like some, you know, uh, craftsman labor or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so society has decided like, no, you have to educate your kids. If you don't want to send them to public school, fine, but you have to like do at least something. Um, I think there was a but oh, i think ahead. i was gonna say that the difference there is like it's it's different between like the shows that you let them watch at home or something on tv right right um because whether or not your child is educated actually has an impact on society at large
2: and same thing with vaccinations
1: exactly yeah vaccinations definitely they do go to school and get the other kids sick so but if, if you're if you're gonna say no i'm not gonna educate them they don't need to learn how to read society is like yeah they kind of do because they, it's gonna the rest of us kind of have a have an accrued interest in everyone having like a minimum minimum level of competence
0: yeah there was a i thought a really interesting example right near the end of this post about uh stalinism where there was a particular intellectual in i don't know russia around the time when stalin was coming into power who uh all the arguments at the time were in favor for communism and particularly stalinism to enforce communism and make it make it work uh So it was obviously the most logically morally correct thing to do to uh, support Stalinism. It was the only way to move the human race forward. And the person said, you know what? Even though it's obviously the correct and most optimal way to run a society, I just don't want to. And um, so they had that, that... I think that would be a case where the freedom to not choose the most optimal path is sometimes important. And, you know, it turns out nowadays, we know that was not the most optimal path at all. But uh, at the time, that was not nearly so clear at all. And so the ability to to be free to destroy that value, I guess, was important too. Well,
2: it sounds like this person was a dissenter.
0: Yeah, I think they were.
2: Yeah, so like that's another case of people having different preferences that come into conflict
0: yeah i think it's but he was also convinced that that was the optimal thing to do the way to reorganize society
2: why what was his uh motivation then for saying no i don't want to uh
0: because he wanted there to be some mercy and kindness in the world Hmm. despite the fact that it was non-optimal
1: i think that's one of those things where like that's that's a like non-explicit value, although it was more explicit in their preferences than it was in other people's, because, mm. like, mm, the reason that you don't like tyrants is because you want the decision. Like, what if the tyrant is wrong, mm. and it turns out that like having the flexibility there is worth having some some shakeabouts in like a democratic system, right? Because um, at least then there's in theory the 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 chance that like we can at least get back on course, rather than just trusting somebody to keep us on course all the time that we can help kind of steer, and. Yes, that means that we'll occasionally hit stuff, but at the very least, it means that we have... Everyone has a hand on the wheel, right? Yeah. yeah
2: um, this is... We're, uh, sorry, were no, you finished? No. Yeah, go ahead. It's actually making me think more of kind of the sacred cows. Um, What is the thing that I'm thinking of? Taboo trade-offs? Yeah, like uh, unthinkable thoughts where people might... uh. Oh boy, there was an example I had. I was thinking of uh, somebody who can't accept that there's no such thing as heaven. Like I, I refuse to accept, even though like there's no evidence. But uh, I just because it makes me feel better, and thinking about a world in which uh, people just die forever makes me feel bad, and that's going to prevent that person from being able to consider things like cryopreservation or um, having, you know, their brain uh, uploaded. So that. Yeah, I guess there are cases where people's emotions could also like supersede their uh, ability to choose uh, an optimal. I don't know. Somebody mm. else talk. <laughs> I think,
0: no, I mean I think we all agree with you that not dying is the most optimal thing. <laughs> but uh...
2: I'm just trying to think of what would make people, what would motivate them to choose something non-optimal. That's one example I can think of just like you get like a flinch reaction when you're querying your emotions about something. And then what was, what was the thing you were saying, Steven? It sounded more like you were just saying that like, basically this person's kind of weighing their values. And in this case, this person more strongly valued uh, kindness in the world than whatever the optimal state was going to provide for people.
1: Yeah. Or they just expected that having some autonomy could keep them like, and I'm not sure who this person was or what was going on there, but I could imagine like you know, voting against, you know, who I thought like might be, you know, really well qualified or something, but like, no, let's, let's go ahead and keep, you know, a way where we can all keep weighing in at some point or something. Right. Um, just, and I'm not necessarily advocating that democracy is the best way to do stuff, but I can see the argument just that not handing off all the responsibility and all the, the power to something like lets you, I don't know, it uh, maybe the government example although i do like how this this post jumped back and forth between like individuals and government mm-hmm. and they even mentioned plato a couple times because that was you know when we brought up early on that like there's a good analogy between how humans run and how societies run um the like you know personally it's just nice you know again this weekend i play a lot of video games and watch tv like it's it's up to if there was still somebody in my life calling the shots and saying, you can't do that. I might be like pissed, even if I knew that they were right. Mm -hmm. Kind of like doing your homework or going to school. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know I probably should, even though when you're a high schooler, it's hard to see the value in it or something. But the, I don't know, at some point, I think lose like the, the, when you, when you gain the autonomy to like make your own decisions and decide how you're going to spend your time, giving that up, like takes away something that you really, really value, which is the decision or the ability to make decisions, make decisions that someone else and you would probably would agree is not like the best way to spend your time, but it's like, you know, I feel like doing that right now. I'm not sure how this ties into, I, I guess I can see it, but it, uh, eh. mm. sorry, I'm, I'm hedging on this because like optimizing things and optimizing your decisions is, uh, great. Right. Mm. But I don't know, I guess I don't feel constrained to do the best thing that I want to do all the time anyway. You know, like. Mm. If I want to take, well, because that's my preferences shift all the time, right? Mm. And so maybe that's why you like autonomy, because you know what your preferences are, and someone else doesn't. Like if you want to take, <laughs> if you want to take the long way home from work once, because you just you want ten more minutes to relax, or you know there's a prettier park to drive by over here. Mm. Well, you're spending more time on the road, you're putting more CO2 out there, you're not home faster, so you can get home, you can st- get started on the things you need to do at home right away. Like if someone else is making the decisions for you, you you're you're much less. free yeah (laughs) to do do your thing
2: that Mm -hmm. was kind of i think what sarah was saying about a kind Mm -hmm. of losing degrees of freedom by choose by like being you know forced to choose an optimal outcome no go ahead (laughs) sometimes it's
0: not even other people choosing for you it's just an optimization process that you think this is the most optimal thing so you feel constrained to do the most optimal thing
2: yeah i'm thinking about a, a discussion that some of my friends were having recently about feeling like uh I need to save the world and, uh, you know, have a high paying job so I can donate to effective altruist groups. And then someone else saying, but like, is that better than living a hedonistic life where you're just making yourself happy? And yes. then like, how do you define better? <laughs> there was this whole discussion that, uh, I'm still very confused about now.
1: That four thousand year old conversation about what is the good life. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you guys didn't settle that over lunch. Oh man. Not yet. <laughs> um, Actually, we touched on the next quote already, or the next bullet point we had here, which was that this is true at an individual psychological level too, of course. We want to be free to waste time and resist pressure to account for literally everything we do. And um, I'm glad that I articulated my thing before I read basically what she said much more succinctly, because I was making kind of the same point. Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Well,
0: (laughs) Uh, going on. illegibility partisans say that the weakly enforced rules are the only way to incorporate valuable information. Precisely that information which enforcers do not feel they can make explicit, either because it's controversial or because it's too complex to verbalize. If you make everything explicit, you'll dumb everything in the world down to what the stupidest and most truculent members of, public, of the public will accept. Say goodbye to any creative or challenging innovations.
2: Yeah, that kind of was the, the military general example or the uh, banned goods shop example.
1: There was a good back and forth about that in the um, the talking heads debate with Massimo Biclucci and Eli Yudkowski whenever they're talking about, I think, uploading mm-hmm. um, and that, yes, it would be like murder by textbook definitions that we have now, but like you would continue on in a way that like you wouldn't be murdered. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you'd be killed. You might be offline for a minute or something or whatever, right? And then, Asmo was like do you really think like that you could get like the courses on off on this and eliezer kind of splitters he's like D- do you really want to constrain like the best choices about what can be explained to the average judge <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i've had i don't know i've had that argument with people too where it's the i guess star trek transporter but that's not really you it destroys you and then oh the new God. yeah that's like a information theory mm-hmm. uh inferential distance uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I still don't understand <laughs> that. Yeah,
0: I mean, we'd have to have someone, I guess, who believes that way on the podcast because we'd all just fall into the chorus of
1: jerking each other off again. The 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 jerking off there being that the transporter is totally fine because yeah. you live on in the ship yeah. or on the planet. Yeah, that, that, that's my intuition as well. I don't see myself I guess, yeah, you're right. We need somebody else to articulate the other position because I don't see myself being destroyed as a bad thing, provided that I'm reconstituted shortly thereafter mm-hmm. right The
2: argument is that that's not quote unquote you that's being reconstituted.
1: I wonder how they know that um I guess they they'd ask how I would know that I'm the one that's reconstituted or something, but like if it has my memories and personality and my vague physical shape, then that's kind of all I care about,
2: yeah shrug that's that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) all right yeah so um being predictable is in Venkat's writing usually a bad thing because it means you can be exploited by adversaries free people are inscrutable in other contexts such as parenting which we already talked about a bit being predictable is a good thing because you want your kids to have an easier time learning how to work the house rules and then I'll just read the last one the basic argument for optimization over arbitrariness is that it creates growth and value while arbitrariness creates stagnation. The argument for arbitrariness is I'm going to defend my right to be wrong because I don't trust the world to understand me when I have a counterintuitive or hard to express or controversial reason for my choice.
1: I think that makes sense as long as like you have one, right? Um, and like in theory, you should be able to explain it to somebody. You know, again, it might take a while. There's a lot, There might be a huge inferential gap to, cr- to cross there um like if we're arguing uploading to muggles then like we we have to you know go through a lot to explain why that's probably a good thing Mm -hmm. and
2: and in real life you usually don't have the time or like that person's not going to sit there and willingly listen to the whole explanation um there's things that i think you just can't explain to people
0: but i think that's basically just another argument of you should be free to make the most optimal choice it's just that you can't always explain the most optimal choice
2: um i think that's what this is saying yeah but i
0: think sometimes you can just Be indifferent among a bunch of choices and you shouldn't have to go with the one that's most optimal. So
1: those are two different statements there though, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Like on the first one, that's kind of the advocate for like why you don't want someone else to make your decisions for you. Right. Because they might not see why, no, look, this really is better for me. Yeah. Look, mom and dad, I know you had this track for me to go to college and do this and that, but I've decided that for my own best life I need to take a year off and then go to trade school or something. And if they're like, No, we had this Ivy League track for you or something and it's like at the end of the day maybe that's too uh, specific of an example but it's easy to imagine circumstances where like you as the person who knows more facts about what's going on in your head than they do probably yeah. are in a better position to make that call well, like sometimes... as a child you're probably not like a, like an 11 year old who says i'd rather have you know ice cream and pizza for dinner and not go to school they're probably not the best ones to make decisions for themselves
0: sometimes i do things that are self destructive and i know in the moment that i'm doing them that they are self destructive Every time I get should drunk. You, uh, should I not do that, though?
2: Well, that's, you know, you've weighed your choices ahead of time. And
0: and I know it's the wrong one.
2: Well, wrong, I don't know. You're you're trading your short-term pleasure now for the... Well, yeah, then, then yeah, that brings into, you know, question the system one, system two kind of ability to think short-term, think long-term. And we have that reptile brain that is going to generally overpower the oh. <laughs> system two a lot of the time. And it's like, been there longer.
1: And like, what accountability do you have to your future self? Mm. Like, you work out a few times a week. I try to. And like, that's because I know that down the road, future me will appreciate it. Mm. And, you know, it's it's not just that. Cur- current me also appreciates it, but not in the minute that I'm working out. Like, I'd, ra- I'd rather be laying down and watching TV for the most part, right? right. Um, working out can be fun, but most of the time it's not. If it's super easy and relaxed, you're probably not working out hard enough. Yeah. Um, but... Or, or like um, somebody who gives up smoking, for example, they're going to have an annoying few days where they're like, oh man, I could really use a cigarette. But you know what? A year from now, I'll really be happy that I made this decision. So I'm going to make it for future me, not for present me who's dying for a cigarette. Um, There's that line. So like, are we coming down on the,
0: on the side of people should generally make the most optimal decision?
1: Well, I think that it's, you know, and the post is long and it covers a lot of content, but I guess it's not clear to me like because you're weighing in like your expressed goals of like i want to make x amount of money i want to buy this thing whatever your goal is and then how to get there um but all of your like your implicit assumptions or like excuse me your implicit goals like i actually want to be happy or I, you know like you don't want to get a, you, you don't want to like schedule your day so you have enough time to get a good night's sleep tonight for its own sake you want to do that because you'll feel better the next day mm-hmm. and it's like that's your real goal mm-hmm. and so constraining it by like the the decision tree that led you to like nope, I'm gonna to go to bed at 10 o'clock. Um, that that is subject to revision when there's something else that you can do. You know, like drink coffee or something, and better coffee 2.0 that you know actually makes up for lack of sleep. Um, so, I think maybe maybe there's something hard about like the question of like what's your coherent extrapolated volition really <laughs> really tra- really aiming at here, right? Yeah. Yeah. All the things that you that you actually want that maybe you haven't articulated to yourself
2: yet. Yeah, we don't know our own preferences a lot of the time. We have different parts that have different preferences that fight with each other. There's people that will um kind of prefer to satisfy other people's preferences over their own, like a parent with their child or you with a loved one. It's uh it's a much more complicated topic than like which is better, indifference <laughs> mm-hmm. or optimization.
1: Maybe I want the freedom to choose which which choice, which which mode I'm going to be in when I'm making a decision, right? Yeah. So like some days i want to do the the indifferent because th- sometimes I, some days i just don't care you know and that not to say that every possible outcome is equally distributed like what do you want for dinner tonight you know when i say i don't care that doesn't mean like i'm okay with skipping dinner or eating you know rocks um so like it's it, when i th- there's it's not that every possible outcome is the same value to me it's that like every possible outcome in the space of things that i know you're like that we're vaguely talking about are the same like do you want you know mexican chinese or or burgers or something right
0: like the freedom of speech thing that she mentioned yeah that
1: within these bounds you have the right to say whatever you want or you know within certain bounds you you feel free to eat whatever i think the within certain bounds part is is what i was getting at there maybe optimization is more about like finding better bounds
2: yeah i like that actually um All right, I have a question for you, too. Okay. So, uh, can somebody have freedom if they have inaccurate information?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. Huh.
2: Because that was something I was thinking about in regard to this. How do you even make an optimum... Like, I I think humans never have perfect information about anything. Yeah. And then that kind of uh, relates to the topic of letting authorities make decisions for you, whether that's parents over their children, governments over citizens... A religion over the adherence to that religion. Right. There's a yeah, a complicated topic. Yeah. <laughs> can you There's make a a an opt-
1: can you make an optimal decision without all the information? Is the question?
0: Well, no, no. You obviously can't make an optimal inform decision in if your
1: information's wrong. But do you have freedom? Yeah, right. I knew I, was, I knew I was raising the question wrong because that, that one was easy to answer.
2: I guess you could say you could make a most op- optimal decision.
1: Yeah, that's, that's like based
2: on your current information, and that's still probably worth aiming for.
1: That's probably what I would say. Right. I think. Um, and in fact that's a that's what anti-vax parents are doing right so they're making what to i mean they're not they're not not vaccinating their kids because they hate them and they want them to get sick and die they're doing it because they really think it's the best choice for them right. um so like they had the freedom to make a bad decision based off of bad information um sorry can, can you repeat the question because the way you phrased it was hard and i'm <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm rephrasing easier questions in my head on accident
2: <laughs> yeah basically i was just saying to what extent can we say people have freedom if they don't have access to perfect information And I guess like, you know, we kind of answered that the, the, you know, nobody has access to perfect information and you have to just make the best, the most optimal choice within the bounds. And I guess uh, then thinking about that, I agree with what Ineash was saying about it seems like a goal should be making better bounds.
1: And you can do that by learning more if you can um, about the question you're trying to answer and the problem you're trying to solve.
0: See, it's different because I feel like you should have the right to make the wrong decision If given that you have all the information, but if you don't even have correct information, in what sense are you free?
2: Yeah. And I'm still struggling with the idea that like anyone ever makes the wrong decision, quote unquote. I think everybody chooses kind of what Steven was saying, what they think is the most optimal choice based on the information they have. I think like very few people are going to be like, I know that this is good, but I'm going to do this other thing that is bad. Like, I, the, the, there's, the, you know, the trade-off of the alcohol, but that's just a... I know that, like, I'm going to be hungover tomorrow, but I, it's, right now my preferences are I choose to have fun tonight.
1: I'd rather I'd borrow happiness from tomorrow and have more happiness tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's there's times when I'm self-destructive where it's not even
0: that. It's just, like, I want my outsides to match how my insides are right now, and uh, that, that involves some destroying.
2: Even that's working on a preference to like feel your emotions more strongly though
0: i guess or to
2: have them kind of like like uh reach some kind of catharsis about them Mm. i just like i I really am having a hard time imagining uh and then maybe maybe it's just a the definition of what a good or a bad like (laughs) choice is Hmm. well
1: it's easy to imagine like someone making a bad decision you know because you can you can look at it in hindsight and be like look that decision killed them their decision to use that much drugs was a bad decision because now they're dead um Or their decision to, you know, uh, put all their money on the roulette table was a bad decision because they lost. Um, So,
0: I know we've all seen The Dark Knight. In the situation where the Joker tells uh, Batman that your love interest is over here, Harvey Dent is over here, and now Batman gets to choose who he wants to go save, given the fact that the Joker lied to him and actually swapped the where he told him, did he ever have any sort of choice? I guess he
1: he sort of did he still chose who he wanted to save but he couldn't save rachel yeah in this situation because he did he have the freedom ever
0: to save her then
1: no not really the joker constrained his his abilities by giving him the false information right yeah he had the freedom to decide who he'd rather save but not the freedom to actually do anything (laughs) right which is what makes like that's what makes that decision like by the joker way more evil he could have given him a random location of an empty warehouse right Right. but he actually sent him to harvey Dent's place which is hilarious (laughs) (laughs) you know the joker got a good laugh about it and that's that's what makes the joker such a good bad guy Mm -hmm. um yeah that's interesting
2: i don't know like reading this article i'm just like thinking i'm of the opinion that i just want us i want there to be more freedom and like by freedom i mean information i guess
0: well, sure, but do you also, by the definition of this article,
1: therefore want there to be less optimization? Because if you
0: always choose the most optimal thing,
1: you're never free. I was going to say phrasing it in the sense of always choosing one or the other, I think, is the trap that the essay is trying to make us fall into, but there's no okay. reason to go into. Yeah, it's like you're free to make. You're only free to make the optimal decision if you have all the right information. Um, but that's assuming you want to make the optimal decision. Some days you just want to fuck around and and you know waste your time. So you're free to choose the most optimal decision, but you're also free to not do so.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So like, it would sure be nice. Like if my, if my decision was like, all right, in five years, i want to be making this amount of money working at this place and have a house this big or something, whatever your arbitrary measurable goals are, then there is some path to victory there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's not clear to me if Contestant's power from worm could say, I want to waste tonight. What's the best way to do that? <laughs> right. right. There probably is some answer to that if you're but like i guess it's not clear what waste means there but like what she, what contessa can do is not use her power mm. so she has the path to victory that gives her the optimal uh 117 step route to solving whatever problem she's facing or she can say i'm not going to ask my power and i'm going to just do what i think i want to do so that sounds like the best that sounds like the best outcome kind of like having that that, that earring parable with scott scott Alexander's post but not having to wear it all the time the downside would be like that if you are wearing it, life would be so much easier, and you would be offloading a lot of your decision making onto this thing. But it would be it'd be a cool thing to have, but one to be like really careful about using, I guess.
2: I think I'm still struggling with is the the idea that there is such a thing as a bad or a good choice, or an optimal or a non-optimal choice. But, and in the case that such a thing existed, that a person would ever be would ever want to or be able to choose the bad or the non-optimal choice. I mean, people can be wrong about what the actual optimal choice is, but, like, who is deciding what is and isn't optimal here? Mm. Like, uh, you can um, look at your brother and, like, be like, okay, like, I'm a rationalist and my brother's uh, not, and I can see that he's doing this thing. And I could tell him, like, hey, obviously the optimal thing to do would be this, but then your brother could say, well, I'm a hedonist. And I don't actually care about advancing my career or this or that. I just want to have a party with my friends every night. And that actually is his preference. Are we talking about what someone's preference is? What is actually making them happy? Or like, are we defining optimal by some other metrics?
1: That you're an effective altruist and a rationalist and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, I, I take it to mean that you're actually going for what you're aiming for. So...
2: In that case, your brother's aiming to have a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, not necessarily looking at looking at a hypothetical person. Um, you know, who says like, I guess you could say that it was a wrong decision if, like, what they thought was going to be a good time actually sucked, or you know, like, led them into you know a long strain of decisions that they regretted. Um, so, like, if you're if your thing is like I'm gonna party four nights a week, and then you fail out of college and
2: and you, now you can't party anymore.
1: Right, then you can't party anymore. Or oh, you can still party.
3: <laughs>
2: well, you can have much worse parties by yourself. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: but like you know, if if you wanted to do both, you wanted to go to school and and party a lot. But like it turns out that you mismeasured the scales and you failed out of classes or something, right? Um, I think
0: there is some level of extr- extrinsic good and bad in all these questions too, because right now we're just focusing on. What does the person think will make them happy or whatever? But uh, all your actions affect other people too. So if you, if you put stress on your family, if emotional, financial, whatever, if the rest of society is being brought down by your actions in some way, those could be classified as bad even if it's what's making you happy. Because everyone else in society now has a reason to try to uh, make you not pursue those particular goals or at least moderate them in some way.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, thinking about that, I think you're right. And in the example of the hypothetical brother, there's still the internal family systems. Um, There's, like, the domineering part of your brother who wants to party, and then there's the part of your brother that doesn't want to, like, be broke and sitting outside the 7-Eleven drinking out of a brown paper bag (laughs) party of one after failing out of college and not having any way to make money. So, yeah, a person is like a society, and...
1: And a person is in a society, like, like and, the point you' yes. just saying, yeah, so and even then too, like this this hypothetical person still wants like presumably healthy relationships because that's part of being a happy person for almost everybody. Mm-hmm. And if some of their decisions are ruining that, then they're gonna be like, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. I should have done that.
2: Yeah. And yeah, there are certain measurable things, like you were saying, uh, having human connections, <laughs> having enough food, having shelter, like, there are certain basic needs that we can actually measure and figure out whether these are being met for this person. So it's not like just people, there's not such a thing as a person who only has one uh, utility function.
1: Yeah. Or if they do, it's a lot of numbers and they get a lot of weird answers depending on how you're running them. But like if you spend five years chasing a gambling addiction and at the end of it, you have nothing and everyone hates you because you borrowed a lot of money that you can't pay back. Then like you've made the wrong decision. You should have stopped earlier. Um, it, it, even, even if that was me, I would think that I'm assuming, right? I'd look back and be like, well, that sucked. Even if each individual bet was fun at the time. Right. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if I'm going to look back and be like, there's a really annoying question. <laughs> so like... Each individual episode was fun to record, but man, this podcast was a <laughs> shitty idea. <laughs> or like rewatching, or like wasting my time. Mm, um, yeah, so yeah. like Sam Harris does this at the end of his shows, which I feel like isn't, like it doesn't fit with the rest of his his podcast uh, personality mm-hmm. where he does like free fire questions it's like the same five cast questions for every guest and he doesn't do it every time but he does it to a lot of people and one of them is like um what what are you doing now that in 20 years you'll expect you'll regret doing right and robin hansen is the only one so far i think who's had the best answer to that which is like nothing because if i was aware of that i'd stop doing it <laughs> um, but that's that's robin hansen robin
0: <laughs> hansen was also brought up in this post as an example of an optimizer right so, <laughs> so
1: for, for the rest of us humans um, it's like, there's a good chance that I will think, oh, you know what I should have done through 2018 and 19 is instead of, you know, re- binge watching t- shows that I'd already seen and playing video games, I should have like read more books on my job so I could advance my career faster or something. I found yet, a way- I'm not sure if that'll hold me back enough to like make me regret doing that because I'm having fun.
0: Yeah. I found a way to feel less guilty about watching TV. Like, generally what I uh, do when I'm working out is, like, watch a comedy show or something, right? But I can't really watch them much because most of the time I'm not facing the screen, which is why they're comedy shows. Uh, And that means I'm falling behind on things like Umbrella Academy and all this other shit. Uh, I picked up a guitar, and now I'm just kind of, like, practicing my fingering while I watch things. And so now I feel like, hey, I'm doing something at the same time that I'm wasting time enjoying myself. So, uh, you know... (laughs) Yeah, figure, you spend 20 minutes a day f- practicing fingering. It's not much, but
1: over the course of 10 years, you might be able to play a t- song or two. And the other way to do that is a Nintendo Switch, so you can play video games and watch TV at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. how,
0: how do you enjoy either one when you're doing both? Um, so like, at least fingering is pretty mindless. I used to like
2: play video games and listen to podcasts, as long as it's not like a story-heavy video game or one that takes a lot of your like forebrain oh, right. to solve like a puzzle a one. yeah yeah
1: so if i if i'm playing a game like god of war which is actually really story heavy and there's and like there's too much going on to like do i do something else mm-hmm. um those but those ones are like more intrinsically fun than just like kind of like eh you know or like like sudoku or tetris or something right where it's yeah. like i'm engaging brain a little bit so i can play sudoku and do anything else um but the game that I'm thinking of that I got on the Switch, there's, it's like a turn... Meh, you got to press A every time you want to continue the game. Mm-hmm. So like there's like dialogue that you can... Like most games, I guess. But um, it's called Hand of Fate. You can Google it if you're curious what I'm talking about. But
0: oh, is it's, that the card one? Yeah. Okay. But it,
1: it, the short version is that it's really easy to play this game in a way that I can constantly look away from the screen. Cool. So that's how I can watch TV at the same time. But... Um, we I've, should
0: move on. Yes. And I think this makes a wonderful segue to something I've been meaning to bring up for a long time. Let's do a little intermediary section between now and the less wrong posts. Ooh. Uh, World of Warcraft Classic is coming out August 27th and I am so fucking stoked, guys. Woo. Oh my God. Oh, because I I played this game a lot when I was fresh out of college uh, and good Lord, it's just so... I was about to say so much fun, but <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to call it fun necessarily. I recently saw a video which put it up uh, which summarized it uh, well a lot of people are looking for meaningful work that meaningful work feels very rewarding and world of warcraft uh, the original classic is a very good game simulation of meaningful work yes Oh, how so uh, because it is work. It's not necessarily fun what you're doing, but it feels meaningful because you are helping your community. You are helping your guild to get better and to get stronger and you will all be doing something
1: together. So mm-hmm. everything that you do always feels like it is good for your society. And to contrast that with like a bad video game where like in in Warcraft, correct me if I'm wrong, I never played it because I knew I didn't have the discipline to play that and have a life, like, mm-hmm. you know, eat and sleep and go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but where if you do the thing, if you go through the quest, beat the big boss at the end, you get the prize.
0: Mm, not every not time? All, not every time.
1: Okay. Well, at least it's still fun to do, maybe. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Like, a game like Destiny oh. is where it takes four hours trying to get through this long raid and there's like a 2% chance of getting the prize. Right, right. And like the work isn't even that much fun. It's more like all these stupid puzzles and like you got to shoot and stuff or whatever, but like yeah. it's more just like jumping through all these hoops in a way that isn't at all rewarding.
0: Yeah. Um, the... Current World of Warcraft, I've been playing it a little bit just to, like, get my fix in. It's, first of all, it's a completely different game just in terms of game mechanics. Like, this is not the same game that they had 14 years ago at all. But also, now it's much more of that looter-shooter thing, where you you sign in, you play for 40 minutes, you get your shot at some loot if you accomplished your mission, which you generally always do, and then that's it. There's no community. The people that you played with, you probably won't see again unless you've, like, started your own group but uh yeah it just it it doesn't feel the same at all there's no no real continuity it's a one-time session game that you can play over and over in 40 minute increments rather than a persistent world where what you do feels like it matters from week to week Hmm. so it's still it can be fun if you like that sort of you know kind of a actiony puzzle game sort of thing is how i think of it uh, i guess you said the same thing about destiny it's kind of like a puzzle game where you shoot things
1: yeah except it wasn't fun yeah yeah like that, and that game had so much hype behind it. And okay. they like they had Peter Dinklage back at like, you know, the prime of Game <laughs> of Thrones do the voice with a little robot. Oh neat. And they're like, we're gonna keep adding stuff to this game for ten years and it's gonna just we're, you know, it's gonna be coming to you guys for free and we're gonna just keep making this game bigger and better. Yeah. They're charging like thirty to sixty bucks for every expansion and then like dropped it after two years. Mm-hmm. And they even like ended up replacing Peter Dinklage as the voice actor because they just didn't want to keep paying him. Oh. Um so they had someone else do it. Okay. It was like that whole game was a great to me, like lesson in how like to do something the wrong
2: way um yeah my coworkers were super addicted to that game though i mean regardless of all the dropped balls and missed opportunities and broken promises they um, do
0: a good job of making addictive addictive games
2: yeah I, I think it was just that we were working together in an office all day long and then these guys would go home like have dinner and then they'd all log into destiny and like and play together so it was still the um community aspect of the game that was getting them to come back to it
1: yeah i did that when i was delivering pizzas the guys that i played with uh we played call of duty mm-hmm. and that's like it's a lot of the same it's the exact same kind of game you yeah. know first person shooter um and the zombies missions are a lot more like playing destiny raids where it's like you're going except you don't win at zombies you just get further okay. but like all the fun of that is playing with a team that's good and wants to cooperate do you uh, feel
0: like when you successfully meet your goals you're making the entire team better
1: not in either of those games. Okay. Except like, cause in call of duty, you're not progressing at all. There's not like experience levels that you're gaining, playing the zombies missions. Yeah. And in destiny, you're typically only strong enough. And I'm talking about the first one. I never played the second because I decided I was never going to give them my money again. Mm. Um, or, I'd, or I'd never, and I'd never reserve a game again, like pre-order. Yeah. Okay. Um, so although I did pre-order breath of the wild, but oh, I was willing, I, I knew that one was going to deliver and it did. Okay. So. Uh, so good. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, the thing you're talking about, e d s that was so rewarding. Uh, I didn't play World of Warcraft. I uh, was addicted to Ragnarok online for six years, though. Oh, I heard and that's I, good. It, it was great. I had um this group of friends from, like, yeah, I was playing on the international server, so I had a friend from China and a friend from Brazil and a friend from Mexico. I'm still in touch with some of these people. Cool. Um, two of the people that, like like 6 years ago like we're like dating online there was a girl from Florida and a guy from Mexico are now married nice <laughs> i went and visited them in florida Aww. like uh yeah like yeah, that was kind of my substitute for having real life uh, social interactions because i used to be too socially anxious to talk to people mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are that way too mm-hmm. so um i don't know i i have mixed feelings about uh mmos that do community stuff really well like that i think they are really great for people that Don't have that ability in real life. Who are socially anxious? Who are maybe like live in the middle of farmland, and don't have access to people. Um, And then there's also the dangerous addictive quality.
3: Yeah,
1: the addictive quality is something to be worried about. But like, even if you have access to people, like if you live in a big city, it's like sometimes playing a game is more fun than doing real life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can meet people that you know your friends in real life don't have interests in. That's why a lot of the less wrong communities online, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's there's definitely a benefit to doing it in person too um but to the extent that you can't or it's inconvenient because you live all over the state or something or all over the country or world then it's nice we'll just like all right you know what friday and saturday night we're gonna get online and chat uh-huh. um, or you know kill some monsters
2: yeah so. it's a fake world but it's real relationships
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah that's that's that shouldn't be the tagline for a game
2: for a <laughs> isn't that second life uh yeah the i guess the thing that's dangerous about them is the substituting fake work for real work or um vice versa you know mm. where you're you're leveling up and uh you achieve quests and you have like these metrics for everything that you can see and measure and you get the little like slot machine dopamine release of reward when you level up and there's fanfare well real life doesn't have that and it's much duller and harder it takes yeah. longer yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's how games are rewarding is like you mm. you good games are and that's what i was trying to get out with i got some of the specifics wrong but with world of warcraft you kind of get in you kind of get out what you put in mm-hmm. and maybe there if you hit a level cap or whatever then you're just in it to see if you can get the last little thing no mmos but, are
0: pretty famous for for rewarding time played
2: right. more than anything else yeah. Yeah. yeah grinding ability
1: yep and you know every time you kill this thing you're gonna get x amount of experience And if you're trying to get experience you're gonna get that doing it so yeah. whereas in real life it's always a crap shoot so <laughs> So um, speaking of all that,
0: I am creating a guild on a PvE server alliance uh, in North America. So if anybody wants to join, I'll put a link to the Discord that I have created. Um, I'm assuming there won't be too many people. I certainly hope there aren't like 100 people in the guild because that's 50 <laughs> that's more people many. than we need. <laughs> yeah, But uh, if if you're interested in playing, come on in. Uh, obviously, we'll start with more than the, the required 45 because I expect a decent amount of people will drop out during you know the leveling process before they
1: hit max do i need a uh, pc to play this game uh i believe there's mac versions Hmm. <laughs> i'm wondering if i want to do this I don't i'm th- sucking you in you kind Our of raid are. times
0: are going to be sunday and monday nights uh once we get up to raid which will be a few months okay i'll give it some thought okay yeah right. i'm
2: considering it cool. <laughs> i don't actually regret the six years that i was addicted to mmos but that was because i used them to teach myself how to do real life social interactions and like stuff with economics and just like overcoming anhedonia i don't know it, there's useful stuff about games yeah um
0: i don't regret my time in world of warcraft either but i also like eventually just stopped playing
2: i learned how to do all this stuff in real life and now like Mm-hmm. i can get a real job and make money with it or have friendships in the real world and it feels better than doing it in a game used to i've gone back and tried to play it again and it's not as rewarding after yeah. i've experienced the real thing quote unquote
0: that's what i'm kind of worried about that world of warcraft just won't be as much fun now that yeah like you said the real thing exists so maybe i won't even get up to 60 myself but i'm at least going to give it a shot
2: yeah, it's ex- worth uh, experimenting yeah
1: and that's the thing, too, is, like, assuming you already have the hardware to play it, like, the game is 60 bucks, which is, like, nothing to shake a stick at, but, you know, if you play it for 20 hours, which is probably a gross underestimate, mm-hmm. you know, that's 3 bucks an hour for fun. That's, like, that's way less than we're typically willing to pay for a good time. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that was the thing, you know, we talked about that game that I was playing. It was 30 bucks. I bought it on a whim because I liked the first one a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was, like, even if I only play this for 10 hours, like, that's still a lot less, like, dollar per hour of fun than, you know going to the movies or something absolutely which i'm planning on doing here at some point probably today so (laughs) i don't i think my my usual threshold of like you know movie is like whatever six bucks an hour for fun that's probably too much well it depends i don't know yeah
0: six bucks an hour for an hour and a half movie that'd be like yeah
1: movies i I I guess movies are a bit more expensive than that here well i was also saying they're a bit longer too so that's true they have
0: been creeping up yeah most of them are around two hours now
2: yeah i kind of wish they would make some shorter movies yeah so i can like actually watch them sometimes
0: dude watching army of darkness now is crazy it's like 74
1: minutes long (laughs) i'm like whoa is this is this a tv episode i just watched (laughs)
2: it's over already
1: yeah especially with all like the netflix originals that are like 50 minute 55 minute episodes or something and it's like a mini movie or like game of thrones is an hour like Mm -hmm. the last one the last season was like an hour and 20 minutes an episode so where's
0: it i didn't think any of them were that long so weren't they In season seven they had some that were that long
1: well so, some of them anyway were over an hour yeah which yeah. is over the the time allotment for a movie or for a tv show yes and is encroaching on old movie time territory so uh-huh. yeah and then there's avengers endgame that was only three hours lo- or three three hours long and it wasn't long enough so. hey, <laughs> right it
0: didn't feel three hours at all no it's crazy shall we move on to the less wrong posts all right let's do it let's right. do it the Less Wrong Posts. The first one that we are reading and talking about this week is Universal Fire. Uh, this is actually one that I did a. I read the essay out loud in one of the down periods when Eliezer was writing more uh, chapters of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. So I will post a link if you want to hear me reading the entire thing uh, that exists.
1: It just occurred to me there are also two other audiobook podcasts mm-hmm. for the sequences. Yes, there are. That we haven't been linking to. and. In- kind of that's like true. just google we mentioned
0: them. them once or twice but we never link to them yeah no, we link to them once or twice but we don't do it regularly
1: they're out there if you want to find them they're both on itunes i think so
0: yes if you don't want to read these you can you can listen to all of them
1: right yeah
2: listen reading with him. your ears is so cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say listen to them while playing video games exactly <laughs> optimization
0: that's right while you're out there grinding bat dicks
1: <laughs> wait what? is this a world of Warcraft reference
0: <laughs> it's a joke of one of my friends as a thing, we're like, yeah, I'm just going to go out and collect bat dicks for the next two hours. <laughs> because you get random parts of the animal. Not random, completely random. But like sometimes someone's like, I need oh, 10 wolf paws. And someone's like, I need 11 bear snouts. And someone's like, I need 20 rat dicks.
1: <laughs> so. 50% of what I know about World of Warcraft some of that South Park episode, Make Love, Not Warcraft. Yes. And I feel like they did a good job. Yeah, they Even did. though I don't have anything to compare it to. I did, I did demo the game for like a week when oh. I was... Because there was like a trial that you could play, mm-hmm. and I was like, "I'm way too into this. I can't do it." Because I think I mentioned this to you before offline, but I put, I think, 450 hours into my first playthrough of Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Yes, and like that's offline. That's a lot. That, that's a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. And like if I was online, like not just like competing with myself and like trying to make a great character, but also measuring dicks with everyone else out there, <laughs> yeah. I would I would lose sleep. I would just stay up all night taking caffeine pills and drinking soylents and just like. Running, you know, I don't know, I'd I I run myself ragged playing this game, so yeah. <laughs> not a good idea. Not for me.
2: All right, Universal Fire.
0: In Universal Fire, it starts off telling talking about a piece of uh, fiction, a book where Harold Shea is transported from our own universe into the universe of Norse mythology. This world is based on magic rather than technology, so naturally, when he tries to light a fire with a match brought from Earth, the match fails to strike. Bum, bum, bum. Eliezer has a problem with this. <laughs> <laughs> Eliezer says that Anto- Antoine Lorraine de Lavoisier,
2: I think. Yeah, pretty good.
0: Okay. Discovered fire. His great innovation was to weigh all the pieces of the chemical puzzle both before and after the chemical reaction. So he discovered that all the parts, including the weight of the air after a fire, are equal to all the, the weight of all the parts before. Uh, He also knew how to separate gases and discovered that burning a candle diminished the amount of one kind of gas, which they called vital air, and produced another gas called fixed air. Today, we would call them oxygen and carbon dioxide. When the vital air was exhausted, the fire went out. And uh, he said that the thing that's really amazing about this is that way back in the day, when people didn't know how their bodies worked. Like, not on a real deep level. Like, you could look at your hand and flex your fingers and really have no idea why that worked. Like, I mean, you know the muscles are doing work and moving them, but why are your muscles contracting? How is any
1: of this possible? It must be the soul inside you, right? Yeah, why Why does your hand move and not, like, a piece of clay that you're holding that's shaped like your hand or something? Yeah. Which, like, all seems kind of obvious to us now because we all took, you know, elementary school science and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just a quick side note there. I anyone who hasn't read anything like on a history of science i think it's worth like just grab like something like um a brief history of nearly everything and there's not an a version of that too but the, just putting yourself in the mindset of somebody who didn't know all this stuff already because like mm-hmm. you look at it now and be like oh chemistry is boring it's like do you have any idea how like weird it was to live in a time when you didn't know what stuff was made of yeah. like now we now we know and it seems like something that humanity is always known but we we've only known for like a few hundred years mm-hmm. like stuff made of atoms right yeah, yeah. so th- that i think that that sort of thought experiment which you can run by reading a, a history book um is like just vital to getting the wow of science yeah and to make something like this make more sense
0: and that's yeah that's where he points out imagine not knowing all this stuff and then discovering that humans in the course of breathing consume vital air and breathe out fixed air just like a fire will consume vital air and make fixed air meaning that people also run on combustion
2: we're made of fire
0: <laughs> yeah. which is like what the fuck which is i mean that's pretty fucking amazing when you think about it right who if you discovered that would that
1: not freak you out especially if you didn't have it, it, like if you discovered it in the context of knowing so little else about the, the nature of the world right yeah and so it's yeah, they're, they're what you what you could infer would be How the through, fu- through the through the roof.
0: Yeah, what? Why is there fire? What happens?
1: There's obviously no fire inside me, but what? Yeah, like you put a candle in a jar and it eventually burns out. You put a mouse in a jar and it eventually burns out. Yeah, like what? Why are these things the same? Because right. you don't know what's in the air and you don't know. Yeah, the parts of it. So yeah, yeah. is the fire alive?
0: I don't know. Uh, Elias explains matches catch fire due because of phosphorus. He gives some. Breaks down a bit more. I skipped ahead a little. Phosphorus is highly reactive. Pure phosphorus glows in the dark and may spontaneously combust. It's also well suited to its role in ATP, your body's chief method of storing chemical energy. If a match stops working, so do you. (laughs) For the match to not catch fire when phosphorus is rubbed against something would mean that phosphorus isn't working, which means that our own internal
1: chemical processes aren't working either. They both work off phosphorus. So I didn't read this this fantasy story, but couldn't humans also just run on magic? I,
0: I suppose. That's, I guess, how it must have worked. Yeah.
2: So that would have been a cool rationalist version of that story. Mm-hmm. If, like, Harold Shea had been like, the match isn't working, but then how am I working? And then done some experiments and been like, my body's made of magic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would have been
0: cool. Uh, he ends with, phosphorus derives its behavior from even deeper laws, electrodynamic and chromodynamics. Phosphorus is merely our word for electrons and quarks arranged in a certain way. You cannot change the chemical properties of phosphorus without changing the laws governing electrons and quarks. So if you stepped into a world where matches fail to strike, you would cease to exist as organized matter.
2: This reminds me of, a—I uh, feel like there's been a couple of stories like this too. But I remember as a kid, I had this book of uh, short like, science fiction stories. And there was this one where there were these two kids that discovered a time machine, and the one kid was cautious and looked like oh, we shouldn't use the time machine. And the other kid was like, "I was born in the wrong era. I need to live in Victorian times." And <laughs> then, like, finally, they wrestle over the time machine. The one kid uses the time machine, and then she's just floating in space because she's gone back in time to Victorian times. But you know, everything <laughs> has been moving this entire time.
1: Right. <laughs> that's also my objection with ghosts <laughs> that unless like maybe they're affected by gravity though so ghosts must be affected by gravity i guess which would make which is weird because they're, they're supposed to be substanceless list, substanceless list, lists okay. and like if you're killed like on the 40th floor of a high rise and they, they demolish it and make room for like a parking lot are you just like floating up there or do you like zip away from the earth when like you know the moment you die and like every year the earth swings back but then, of course, the galaxy's <laughs> rotating, too. So, like, you just never really get back to where you were when you died. Mm-hmm.
2: I did actually read um this story about ghosts where a ghost, like, uh, uh, there's this girl who could uh, go back and forth between the spirit world and the real world. And she kind of became a ghost when she was in the spirit world. And at one point, she's in her dad's apartment in New York and turns into a ghost and just falls through the floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love what people actually think about stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think Dan Dennett, when he's talking about his, you know, mind stuff and all that, in some of it because the philosopher of mind um like how can casper go through walls and catch a ball and play like catch with you right so maybe he gets to choose which parts of him are corporeal that's that's how like a lot of the ghost movies handle it right movies like ghost with patrick swayze yes yes although he doesn't choose to not fall through the floor he just chooses to be able to push things over and stuff Maybe he's just subconsciously choosing that all the time. (laughs) Sure, you'd think you could learn a lot. So, like that'd be like the fun way to fuck with somebody who's just recently a ghost, right? Because like they can't they can't push things, but it's like you realize like you're doing it to the floor right now. It's like either they a (laughs) gain the ability to push stuff really easily, or they just start falling. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: The character in that story actually was like, "Man, how do ghosts work? How come I could fall through the floors here? Why don't all the ghosts in the world just sink all the way like through the Earth's crust and just stuck in a big ball Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the core of the Earth?"
1: I think we just figured out what hell is. (laughs) All right. We did it. Theology solved.
0: (laughs) I guess if you, like, take a completely relativistic view of the universe, I mean, sure, maybe we're moving, but there's no difference between that and everything else moving around us in relativity terms, right? Uh, So maybe the ghosts are just, like, really, really into relativity. Like, I believe I am standing still and everything else is moving relative to me.
2: Yeah, things are moving in some sense, though. I mean, the universe is expanding. It's not like it's all real. I mean, it is relative. Uh, it, never mind.
1: Your decision whether or not it's relative doesn't impact whether or not it is, right? So, like. No, it's still relative. Right, but the but that's what I'm saying your understanding your decision to like accept that doesn't change whether or not the universe is relative. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it's yeah.
2: not like an observer phenomenon in the sense that you're controlling, right? The
0: like we're moving relative to the sun. And the sun is moving relative to us and how we choose to think about it is just how we
1: choose to think about it, right? Right, but not what we choose. To, like not our ability is to no... interact with it isn't determined by our understanding of that, right? Yeah, but there's no universal zero, zero, zero coordinate. But I'm saying that if you're a ghost... You oh, should, they shouldn't, shouldn't be able to choose that either? You shouldn't be able to choose that either. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: maybe that's the one magic power as a ghost. That's fair.
2: <laughs> All right, universal law. Someone else do this one. I got it. Cool. It was one of the most startling unifications in the history of science. For it brought together the mundane realm of matter and the sacred realm of life, which humans had divided into separate magisteria. So this is uh, referencing the... The prior post. Yeah, the, the fire. The first great simplification was that of Isaac Newton, who unified the course of the planets with the trajectory of a falling apple.
0: Which, by the way, I didn't realize was as big a deal as it was, but apparently people had a really big thing between the world of the mundane down here and the world of the heavens above which was like god's domain it was like supposed to be a completely separate thing
2: yeah i mean like they actually literally thought heaven was above the clouds in the sky somewhere
1: right and that like the stars were implanted on a dome around us right and like things are like or separate domes that you get like you know they're rotating in weird ways the well depends on how far back you go at one point
0: yes Um, I'm not sure what they were thinking in Isaac Newton's time at that point. They may have still be doing the dome thing.
2: Depends who you mean by they. Right. There's a lot of people alive in Newton's time.
0: (laughs) Yes. But the most important thing is that, like, they're they're literally two different planes of existence, right? It it would be, I don't know, like, the spiritual world and the real world. Like, this is the real world. It's like the Matrix, right? As opposed to the world outside the Matrix. They're completely divorced and, and trying... Trying to prove that the two were the same thing was just crazy.
2: Mm -hmm. Newton's discovery gave rise to the notion of universal law, one that's the same everywhere and every when, with literally zero exceptions. Human beings live in a world of surface phenomena, and surface phenomena are divided into these leaky categories with plenty of exceptions. The only time when it seems like we would want a law to hold everywhere is when we're talking about moral laws, but even here there's exceptions. The idea of a rule with literally no exceptions seems insanely rigid, the product of closed-minded thinking by fanatics, so in the grip of their one big idea that they can't see the richness and complexity of the real universe.
0: Which, did you guys get that a lot in high school, too, with people? A
2: lot.
1: Yes. You still see it now with, you know, the White House saying that, you know, the the established scientific criterion or scientific Uh consensus on climate change has nothing to do with the truth. Yeah. So. But I
0: meant not just in terms of science, but in terms of, like, well, you're just such a rigid nerd. You can't even understand that other people could be different.
2: I've gotten that a lot with uh, people talking about like spiritual phenomena or like astrology or whatever. It's like, well, you know, we can't know everything. Yeah, science like that. People, you know, scientists think they know everything. They're just so closed-minded. Yeah. How how can we ever really know what's true?
1: And yet, you're going to sell me a book that tells me exactly where outside the box is. Great, thanks.
2: Yeah, right. but but this is your chakra positions these are the correct ones here (laughs) yes so this is the customary accusation made against scientists the professional students of the richness and complexity of the real universe because when you actually look at the universe it turns out to be by human standards insanely rigid in applying its rules as far as we know there's been not one single violation of conservation of momentum from the uttermost dawn of time up till now
0: I think this is brought up in the post too, and I didn't copy it, but sometimes when I get into arguments with uh, religious people about what God actually cares about, and uh, people say, like, God wants us to be happy, God doesn't want (laughs) us to be suffering or dying, or... Have they seen the world? Right, yeah. God dislikes gay people. I'm like, look, God made suffering. God made... Gay people exist. You know what God really fucking cares about? Beatles. No, well... I mean, <laughs> what God really cares about is that no one be able to move faster than the speed of light. Because you can't. <laughs> if God was all-powerful and really cared about something, you just couldn't
1: do it. Much like the speed of light. I like that. And the Beatles joke is because there's what 140,000 different species of beetles
2: i think like 70 percent of all biomass is beetles or something like that i'm not sure if that's the exact number but like it's there's a lot. lot of beetles hundreds
0: of thousands of species yeah i think it's more than 140 000. i don't
2: think we're the chosen species god's a beetle <laughs> the egyptians were right Did wait they... well i'm thinking about the beetle rolling the sun across the sky they oh, had okay. multiple gods though yeah anyway um <laughs> sometimes very rarely we observe an apparent violation of our models of these fundamental laws which, uh yeah, my dad's like, scientists are wrong all the time. Mm. If you'd learned to think like reality, then here is the Tao. Since the beginning, not one unusual thing has ever happened. Just,
1: yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. And then rolling with the theme of thinking like reality. That's the name of the next post, Think Like Reality. Um, reality has been around since long before you showed up. <laughs> don't go calling it nasty names like bizarre or incredible the universe is propagating complex amplitudes through configuration space for 10 billion years before life ever emerged on earth quantum physics is not weird you are weird (laughs) human intuitions are produced by evolution and evolution is a hack when you go down the fundamental level the level on which the laws are stable global and exception free there aren't any there aren't any tigers the fact that there aren't in fact, there aren't any persistent objects bouncing around in three-dimensional space. Deal with it. Probability theory tells us that surprise is the measure of a poor hypothesis. If a model is consistently stupid, consistently hits on events that, tiny, that assigns t- tiny probabilities, then it's time to discard that model. A good model makes reality look normal, not weird. A good model assigns high probability to that which actually is the case. Um, you want to reshape your intuitions so that the universe looks normal. You want to think like reality.
0: I still have trouble with that, but I do find I'm less surprised than I used to be, since I've adopted this rationality thing.
2: Um, can you give any examples?
0: Um, the the example that most jumps to my mind is a time when I actually was very surprised, uh, <laughs> which was when Trump was elected. Like, <laughs> I was shocked by that, which means that my model of of American society was just way fucking off. Um,
2: yeah, a lot of people said that in response to that. I mean, like people in you know this community yeah well it happened so clearly uh
1: clearly my model was wrong yeah
2: all all of our models were pretty wrong so we have to
1: update our models yeah, yeah. like to say i can't imagine what it'd be like to say no my model was right the The reality was wrong <laughs> that's that's not a very scientific or rational rationality oriented way of thinking about things
0: it seems like at least in in regards to the politics thing a lot of people are like i think i was right all along there was just this one special exception this one time and like they come up with excuses it's like no man if you're if you were that surprised by things your model was off you were failing to account for a significant thing that turned out to be rather important
1: i know one thing that julia galef either does or did was keep a surprise journal mm. and just you that's know that's a damn good idea yeah like even if it's a little tiny things, like oh i didn't expect that to work or that's
2: a really good idea yeah i've been trying to do the calibration uh you know uh assigning probabilities like random kind of ass numbers to things and then uh Using that as my anchor to update on things when you're right or wrong. But like it's often really hard to do that in real life because real life doesn't come with numbers.
1: And like there's a lot of things happening that you wouldn't have like thought or like took the time to predict in advance. Mm -hmm. So one thing you can try and do is just train yourself to notice that feeling of surprise. Yeah. And then be like, oh, okay, what just happened? What made me feel that way? And then you can can assess those after the fact when there's downtime to think about it.
2: Yeah, you can count how many times you were surprised and see if it decreases over time. Because, uh, yeah, the other thing with the calibration exercise is that, like, often the thing you're surprised about doesn't come up again. So if you're like, oh, okay, I was giving that 40%, and I guess I better up it to 60 um Trump's not going to, well, <laughs> I was going to say Trump's not going to get elected again, so... Mm.
0: Do you actually think that he's not going to get elected again?
2: Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of an example of like something that was really surprising that might not, you know, that is very unlikely to come up again. But uh, uh, that was a bad example.
1: I should bet each of you two hundred bucks that he does, so that you get four hundred bucks if he does. Right. So that way. <laughs> but then I'm, if I'm screwed because yeah, he's president, like a, and I'm out two hundred bucks. <laughs> that's a win-win for you, Stephen.
2: I see what you're doing.
1: Right. So that was, I think, Stephen Hawking's thing. Like, he wanted to bet somebody that black holes weren't real. Oh, right. So at least in that way, he'd have won the bet if he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this principle extends beyond physics. Have you ever caught yourself saying something like, I don't understand how a PhD sci- physicist can believe in astrology. Well, if you literally don't understand, this indicates a problem with your model of human psychology. Perhaps you are indignant. You wish to express a strong moral disapproval. But if you literally don't understand, then your indignation is stopping from stopping you from coming to terms with the reality it shouldn't be hard to imagine how a phd physicist ends up believing believing in astrology
0: i actually just said i literally don't understand how people cannot accept the transporter argument
2: yeah and we need to update our like vocabulary in this community to be like i am strongly i strongly morally disapprove of the fact that people think that the transporter argument
0: i actually literally don't understand why people don't get the transporter argument which means I have a serious hole in my models of other people's psychology. Right. It's not.
1: Th- yeah. So that's, Departmentalization but that's, <laughs> but that's, that's good to know. Right. So now you can actually like, wait, this is actually like a problem with me not understanding them, not a problem with them for being inscrutable. Right. Um, you, this sounds like a something that you can figure out. I so should that, hope so. Yeah. So I now try to avoid using the English idiom. I just don't understand how <laughs> to express <laughs> indignation. If I genuinely don't understand how, then my model is being surprised by the facts and I should discard it and find a better model. There are no surprising facts, only models that are surprised by the facts. Nice. Which is a nice way to yeah to frame, frame things, right? So, yeah. um, Always working to get better models. Always working for our models to be a little bit
0: less wrong. Totally. I don't Wait know a minute, that's it's... the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's like the number of times that I've read these particular ones or these are particularly good sequences, but I feel like there wasn't much to say about any of these three like kind of just like a fist pump like yep (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: yeah these ones are are poignant i think that's probably why you selected them for episodes in the the methods of rationality podcast was Mm -hmm. because these ones don't require a lot of extra backlog or discussion or anything like that yeah it's like no you read this and you basically get what it's saying
0: yeah yeah also why i had three of them in this episode because i knew we'd get through them pretty fast and
1: they're they're all coherent Mm -hmm. so they all had one theme that they were hitting exactly
0: uh for next time we will be talking about the posts beware the unsurprised the third alternative and third alternatives for afterlifeism dope all right shall we get to one or two listener feedbacks before we wrap it up sure Alrighty, uh mr oliva says on the subreddit the oh this is in regard to our last uh episode about the is-ought distinction. The is-ought distinction is not that statements including ought cannot solely follow from statements including is. It's that your moral result must be the product of one or more moral premises. Simply from describing the world, meaning cannot be derived without the arguer providing it. Death is bad is Inuyash's moral input to his argument. Badness is not a measurable quantity of the universe. I... So I understand what he's saying, and uh, I... I agree that badness is not a measurable quantity of the universe, uh, however, I disagree that you need moral inputs to make uh moral assertions. so in the example of death in the the simplest case uh we already we already at least i believe i we established i at the very least said that there is no intrinsic value to anything in the universe. The only value that exists is what agents value, right. We give value to things? Yeah. Okay.
2: I don't know if you said that last time or not, but, uh, that, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I meant
0: to say that, even if I didn't. Um, so given that only agents can value things, what agents value is the thing that matters. And since the overwhelming majority of humans do value their lives a lot, uh, they have a lot of reason to, first of all, pursue their own continued living and to make it. So that people who stop others from living are punished. And even better would be to make those people have an intrinsic aversion to taking others' lives. There's, like, this is what badness basically boils down to, right? It's things that I will be punished for. It's things that I don't want to do because I have been inculcated by the rest of society that doing this will make me feel bad. It will make me be shunned. It will just... Everything about that's that's what badness is. It's everyone coming together and saying uh these are our preferences please do not uh harm them and if you do there will be consequences like does that does that make sense at all
2: yeah um i think this is the same intuition i was coming to uh when we were talking about the free will argument Mm -hmm. where to the extent that we can say that something uh I don't know. Badness does have no meaning on the scale of the universe, but that's because like a rock is not sentient. Mm -hmm. We're humans. We're, we're sentient. Um, we're able to come up with concepts like bad and good because we have sentience to be able to think about it. And I think that you can actually, there is something measurable in the brain of all the brain or the nervous system of all living organisms that like, you know, the, the the very core (laughs) of every living sentient thing is that it wants to continue existing and being sentient. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not like a law of the universe, the way gravity is, but it's a constant, or at least we haven't discovered any uh, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> exception a, to this really.
1: It's a more or less universal law of human psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think like I, I get around a lot of the like philosophizing on like good and bad and whatever by just saying like, make the world a better place. I know that like better than is doing the lifting, mm-hmm. but people I think have a, have a, have l- are less caught up in their intuitions about uh like trying to extrapolate what that means like like, all right cool you mean like you know less suffering and pain and like more happiness and flourishing right and it's like yeah exactly whereas if i just say it's bad then like well what do you mean by bad what if i thought it was good and you thought it was bad then aren't our opinions equal and that and so you you kind of you can occasionally dodge that whole argument just by by reframing the the, um the 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 position that way right so if your thing was like uh um (laughs) death leads to a worse world or something maybe it would be a little like that's not exactly the way to put it but
0: yeah i think it's more because people want to keep producing this to is statements and i think that people have uh,
1: a desire to live is
0: an is statement you can measure you know if people have a desire to live or not and in
1: to some respects how strong it is but me saying i don't care about your desire to live uh, and i'm going to do whatever i want Um, you're saying I shouldn't do that is an odd statement.
0: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I'm saying that everyone who has a desire to live has therefore strong reasons to uh, prevent you from wanting to kill other people, both in terms of punishment and in terms
1: of just creating in you a desire to not be a killer. Yeah, but, but like my in that circumstance my desire to like not be a killer being shaped by society isn't because like i agree that death is bad it's that right. i agree me and being in prison is bad
0: well or just that you um acknowledge the fact that society has successfully instilled these emotions in you that you would feel awful if you killed someone like would you feel awful if you kill someone is a yes or no question and has society instilled that that emotion in you is something that's probably measurable Um, I know there's a lot of societies that do not make a distinction about some people that you're allowed to kill.
2: Yeah, but I think that those are societies where they dehumanize. Yes. Um, Like, you shouldn't kill people, and your enemy does not count as people.
1: Yeah, but luckily gay people aren't people, so we can throw them off of buildings or something, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's whether that emotion has been instilled in you or not is also a is question. And why was it instilled in you is because the people who did the instilling had motivations of wanting to, you to not kill them. So, I mean, I think that's all Lum comes back to is questions.
2: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if this is what Mr. Olival was getting at here, but I remember being very tired when we recorded that episode and <laughs> kind of after the fact being like, it really would have behooved us to taboo a lot of words mm. in that discussion because this is like a lot of that is... Ought, um, question relies on there being a uh, agreed upon meaning of words like good and bad mm-hmm. <laughs> so like probably would have been good for us to uh, good to have defined what we meant by that or what like maybe other people making that argument mean by that because i think that we're actually like people on other sides of this argument are actually usually talking about different things
0: <laughs> yeah you're right i guess i guess bad is my shorthand way of saying um undesirable people... no 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 In general, people have many reasons that actually exist for making you want to hate, to have an aversion to doing this. So, like, death is bad means that, in general, everyone around you has many true existing reasons to uh, make you feel bad if you kill anyone. To make you have emotional pain when you kill people.
1: So it's a perfectly normative claim rather than a moral claim. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. And those reasons are that they want
0: to live.
2: Yeah, the, the last paragraph of um, Mr. Oliva's comment was, even if we stated it empirically as death makes people sad and death causes people not to actualize their goals, you'd still need to provide the moral statement people being sad and not actualizing their goals is bad before you could derive the moralized conclusion death is bad, which is yeah, just defining what we mean by bad there.
1: Right but you're not you're not making a moralized claim you're making a normative claim
0: Yeah I'm saying that people being sad and not actualizing their goals is a reason for them to instill in me the emotion of it, emotional pain when I do those things that would make them be sad or or not actualize their goals
2: Yeah I think this is a sense where the word bad has no meaning um in the context of a rock like the word bad only has a meaning in the context of a sentient being
0: Yeah
3: and again it comes
2: back to sentient beings don't want to die yeah. sentient beings don't want to feel sad sentient beings want to actualize their goals
1: do either of you or did either of you read um sam harris's book on the moral landscape no i didn't anyway
2: uh, i don't think i have
1: um so i it's i think a lyric our friend of the show lyrically put like they, they point out that there's some like problems with the book that they're not a huge fan of but what i like about it is that it's sort of Like, it deals with that same sort of philosophical bedrock question, kind of like we just did, and then, like, just kind of moves past it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he bites the bullet in a different way, rather than saying, like, look, no, this is, like, not just purely a fact about human psychology, and I'm making normative claims about what people want and what they're trying to make you do. It's more just like, yeah, I'm going to say that, like, that's one reason I like reading Harris's stuff, is that he does he's one of the same tools that i like where basically he like reduces something to like an absurd level just to see if there's like an actually an intuition there that's like that actually pans out so like i'll take something run run with it all the way and see if it's if there's anything there that makes sense and so his his analogy is like the best or the worst possible world for everyone Mm -mm. and so like whatever that kind of means to you you imagine something that's like hurts all the time it um whatever it is right Uh, basically hell writ large mm-hmm. um if you don't think that that's bad then we need to stop using the word bad or i have no idea how to talk to you yeah there's like, certain
2: universalizable, universalizable uh aspects to badness pain yeah being one uh loneliness being one i mean things that are the opposite of goals that we as a sentient being are trying to actualize <laughs>
1: And you could even just say it's, like, something that we'd want to avoid. Like, and so that's where he kind of just comes down and says, like, look, if you say that there's no difference between, like, the best possible world and and the worst possible world, and you're like, nope, I have no preference about one or the other, then it's like, all right, cool, then I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who can see why living in the worst possible world for everybody is is wrong or is bad yeah. and why we should strive for the best possible world for everyone
0: um and i just want to say that i did not come up with the vast majority of what i've said by myself this is almost everything taken from the works of alonzo fife who we had on the podcast once and his uh theory of desire utilitarianism which basically says that all value boils down to what sentient beings desire and you know and are averse to have an anti-desire for
1: cool
2: yeah, yeah. And as sentient beings, that's really all that we can do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It's probably not the end all of all morality, but it's uh, what I have latched onto and what I think is the most correct uh, description of how the moral process works. Sounds good to me. All
2: right. Sandu J says, imagine a society in which every time someone had a health problem that could be fixed with a bodily transplant, such as blood transplant, bone marrow transplant, kidney transplant... A donor would be picked at random from the male population in a way. If you didn't want to be a donor then tough luck, it's being a donor or going to jail. There's of course always the chance of the operation going wrong and the donor would end up dead, crippled, otherwise radically changed in ways that stop them from following their dreams. If you value human life over the bodily autonomy this much and find such a society more appealing than the current one, I can respect your decision of being pro-life. So that was obviously in response to our abortion, our lovely, popular, wonderful abortion discussion. <laughs> yes.
0: I I'm I'm mixed on this one. Are you? Would that be a good
2: I think that's not a good trade off. I mean uh, to you know, I still I still think bodily autonomy is <laughs> kind of a value that I will defend. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to put the shelling fence there for good reasons. And uh, and I don't think it's quite the same here. Uh, okay, say that, you know, you're chosen to give someone the kidney transplant. You go to the hospital and they, they do the kidney transplant and it's against your will. And now you have, but like, you're, you're actually fine. You still have one functioning kidney. Your brain's still the same. The operation is like maybe i I don't know i think the longest maybe it could go on is a week they did point out like oh maybe you could like be injured or crippled but otherwise you're fine that's not what pregnancy is no it lasts nine months (laughs) you can die your brain gets rewired your body gets changed permanently and now you've got a kid to take care of for like 20 years
0: i think the the effects of having a kidney removed are worse than what you were saying but yeah it's not as bad as
1: nine months and like when you're done having when you're done recovering you're done Mm-hmm. whereas like you're not when you when you go through childbirth like you can physically recover most of the way in most cases yeah. maybe even all the way in almost all the cases but um as someone who doesn't go through childbirth yeah, you're,
2: you're often changed permanently
1: yeah. yeah physically for sure but you can recover and psychologically that's the, that's the part that doesn't recover right um but they'd be like oh that's not an injury or something but it's like it is if you didn't want it um it's like i don't it's like getting hit in the head and like sure you can retrain yourself to like whatever do all the functions you lost but like if you could ever do them like you could before or like your values changed you'd be like I didn't want to be a different person and now I am you've wronged me. Yeah <laughs> so
2: you're picking a random male from the population and then just scrambling their brain a little. And sometimes you'll come out pretty much the same and sometimes you will be complete like your values will be completely changed.
0: Yeah, I'd be fucked up.
2: Would you choose to do that?
0: <laughs> it's so weird cuz this particular example of choosing a person at random to be a donor it's not for me on the face of it a
1: terrible thing well it would be it'd be super weird and counterintuitive i don't mean to interrupt but like if you had a long line of people volunteering Mm -hmm. you're like nope we're going for random Mm. that's that's weird too right so we don't have a long line of random of people volunteering though
2: well looking forward to the universe where and like we're, we're getting there where you can just like grow an organ and not have to take one from a donor i mean uh yeah totally. I'm also looking forward to the universe where we have like <laughs> you know birth control is implanted in everyone at birth and you have to choose to turn it off yeah and we can have babies in artificial wombs i mean of course now i'm just talking about like in my perfect universe here's how things would be but i you know i, I don't like the fact that we're really like thinking about the way things are like right now being the way things have to be
0: i would also find myself wanting for the state to be much more of a police state if this was the case because like sure i understand some people can't help it and they get bone cancer and uh they they need a bone marrow transplant but like if someone had an injury where they were playing football and they ruptured their spleen and now they need a spleen at random i'd be like hey wait a minute i don't play football I never put my spleen at risk. Why do I got to give my spleen to this person who was,
1: you know, recklessly playing football with people? Especially if they're burning through three spleens a year because (laughs) they they realize that there are no risk of losing it forever, right? Right. Or like like maybe lung transplants for the same thing. It's like, like, oh, I I can smoke like a chimney because there's all the lungs I need out there in society.
0: Right. So now all of a sudden I would want society to be much more policing of everybody's bodies, which uh, probably not a good thing.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like you you imagine that people getting picked at random are probably going to try to run or like you know uh skirt around the system somehow i mean kind of the way that you know wealthy people uh, who live in <laughs> i got bone area.
0: spurs i can't give you my lung <laughs> right
2: yeah no there's you know there, there's um wealthy people who are very very pro-life and then like their kid gets pregnant and then it's right. like oh but not us yeah <laughs> and they'll go early have an abortion like it, yeah there, there's going to be all kinds of negative externalities to this kind of world the same way there are lots of negative externalities to a world where fetuses are considered people right
1: the health analogy or the health example in that comment reminded me of another thing from Sam Harris's book um, where like health is a vaguely defined word like healthy. Like it's not clear exactly what that means. Like it's clear what it doesn't mean. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, not always being in pain, not always vomiting. His um, use of the word always. there made me just think of something that was constantly vomiting. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and like, even though it's, it's transient, like, you know, right now, if you, if you can run a mile at 80, you're like amazingly healthy, but there could be a time where like, you know, if you can't run, uh, you know, a five-minute mile at the age two hundred, you're like seriously unhealthy, right? But that doesn't mean that like healthy is completely void of all meaning, right? Even if the if, de- if the definition is transient over time, so yeah. um doesn't really tie into anything. It's just uh, the 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 mental model of always vomiting is <laughs> sort of sort of ever present in my head. I so. just <laughs>
2: wanted to bring it up for that reason. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about this. Uh, here's another thing I just thought of. So what if the person who's randomly chosen to be the donor doesn't like they have to pay for their own medical care forever
0: yeah and what if they're doing something that they find really important right at the moment like my mother is dying of cancer and i want to be with her or i'm working on this thing that will solve poverty
1: and uh i
2: nope you've been chosen to go give your kidney and you got to pay for it
1: yeah yeah that (laughs) actually the the paying for it like the fact that this is like a life-ruining expense for almost half of america is kind of like a big deal right
2: see i almost feel like there like there would be certain changes we could make that would make a pro-life position more palatable to me i still don't like it for the bodily autonomy reasons but like hey what if like society compensated you for having a kid
1: i mean it does a little bit Uh, get tax breaks not positively though on the aggregate
0: no no it still costs you more than you get back
1: yeah but yeah, if this if this was <laughs> if this was a money-making scheme, then people could just be pumping them out as fast as possible and cashing their $200 a month per kid or something, right? Yeah. Um, but since things aren't quite so simple and there's there's more to the equation than that, then yeah, um, selecting people at random saying, look, this is now your problem, deal with it. I, I think that puts a really fine point on it, Jess, saying that, like, look, it's one thing to say, all right, you're elected at random, we're going to give you a procedure, you're out for a week presumably in this thought experiment like society would understand you're not going to get fired you're not going to you know lose your house because you you missed a couple payments or something but you're also not going to be out twenty five thousand dollars, right whereas if you have a kid it's like oh yeah you're gonna you could have all those things no maternity leave so you need to you know wipe your wipe yourself off and get back into the work on monday morning um <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a tv show i was watching completely aside from the point but she works at like a um supermarket and uh they she's like oh i'm gonna leave you know like my shirt at home so the baby can learn my smell and it's like the saddest thing but like to her it's completely normal because she doesn't have any time off right Right. um so there's there's a lot more to this in the real world examples of of forcing people to have children than there is in this this nicely hypothetical world of of like selecting people at random for procedures but it's a fun thought experiment
3: yeah yeah so I'm
1: not not trying I'm not trying to devalue like it's usefulness and fun to talk about but it was I don't think it there's too many disanalogies here yeah uh
0: we should probably wrap it up because it's 3.30
1: yep cool we have one more important thing to do before we wrap this up though hell yeah we do I think it's been a while since you've thanked the the patron Niosh
0: very well I will do it then
1: even though I wish I'd picked it because they've got the coolest first name ever so
2: oh man you got a good one
1: (laughs) do you guys want to take this it's okay I'll I'll grab the next one no
2: you can have it (laughs)
1: So,
0: Alistair Park, everyone loves your name. You are awesome, and you are extra awesome for helping us with this
1: podcast. Everyone has great names. Don't get me wrong. But Al- <laughs> Alistair has been one of my favorite names since me- like, when I was like 14 and read uh, The Goblet of Fire. That's, <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, Moody's oh, first name. Right, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, cool thanks Alistair that's awesome
2: yeah thank you you have a cool name
1: (laughs) yes thank you it's almost as cool as (laughs) Eniosh. uh
0: no it, it is a great name and thank you so much for this you helped keep this thing going and you make all our
1: days brighter that's right
0: at least all our podcast recording days
1: yes and everyone else too um thanks for listening and you know where to find us for uh email subreddit all that stuff yeah just search the bayesian conspiracy mm-hmm. and uh feel free to share this with a friend itunes all that stuff i'm really bad at like that we should just do a canned <laughs> outro that we all read but leaving a uh, rating on itunes can also help yeah that sort of thing
0: yeah
3: yeah
1: all right everybody that's all we got for you this episode i think
0: um yes it is cool so we'll see you all in two
1: weeks great all right <laughs> <Okay>, bye everybody <laughs> bye